0: To the Word of God this morning, to John chapter 14, John's Gospel, chapter 14. Just give you a moment to find it. Just read a couple of verses from verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now, very often we preach and teach on the various aspects of Christ's ministry the advocacy of Christ, the priesthood of Christ, the sonship, his messiahship, saviorhood, his kingly ministry, his servants' ministry, his shepherd ministry. Today I want to turn our thoughts toward another vital aspect of Christ's ministry when he was on earth. And that was his revelation of the Father. His revelation of the Father. Jesus revealed to men the Father heart of God. Now Jesus' audience, as you know, was mainly Jewish. They were very familiar with the concept of the fatherhood of God. Uh, They believed that all men everywhere Uh, that God was their father by creative right. And they most certainly believed, and the scriptures back this up, of course, that God was the father of the nation of Israel by covenant right. However, Jesus came to show them the father heart of God, not the fatherhood of God, but the father heart of God by redemptive right. If there was one word that was often on the lips of Jesus, it was Father. You remember when he was only 12 years old, how in the temple, debating with the doctors of law, asking and answering their questions, and how that his mother and Joseph uh, found him after three days and chided him about that, and he says, Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? The father was very close to his heart, even at 12 years old. And he didn't mean Joseph, of course. He meant Father God, didn't he? The last words from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And of course, in great moments of crisis, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. And of course, whenever Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead, and just before that, remember how he prayed, and he says, Father, I thank you that you hear me always. And I'm really praying for their sake, not for my sake, because I know that you hear my prayer. I know that you hear me always. And so, Father was always on the lips of Jesus. In fact, in his private discussions with his disciples, from John 14 through to John 17, he mentions father 50 times directly and 50 times indirectly he mentions father. No one had ever heard someone speak so intimately and directly and personally and passionately about God as father as the Lord Jesus Christ and absolutely amazed the disciples to hear that. They were very familiar with the fatherhood of God, but the father heart of God was something that they just were not so familiar with. And Jesus, as often as he could, spoke of his father. Now, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating in the context of what I'm saying. You know that in the Old Testament, that whenever the little prefix ben is before a name, it means son of, benoni, son of my sorrow, or benjamin. Son of my right hand. And we know that the prefix bath means daughter of Bath Sheba, daughter of Sheba. And if you take the B-E of Ben and the T-H of Bath, put the two together, you get Beth, which means house of. Bethel, house of God. So the sons of God and the daughters of God make up the house of God. God is family oriented. God is in relationship And he loves family. And it implies family. It implies relationship. It implies sons of daughters. Galatians 6 and 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of God, of the household of faith. Ephesians 2.19 Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. This is the wonderful thing about the Christian faith. Whenever you, no matter where you go in the world, no matter what nationality or what color a person you meet, if they're in Christ, then we have one Father and we are brothers and sisters. We are family. And so, no matter where you go, you instantly failure with family. We have got the Father in common. John 14.23, Jesus said, If a man loved me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode or make our home or dwelling place with him. In Mark 14.36, in Gethsemane, Jesus used the word Abba. Abba, Father. And Paul picks up on this, in Romans chapter 8. Now, W.E. Vine, who's a great New Testament scholar, he said that where Abba appears, it is always followed by Father. Father may be used without the word Abba following, but Abba is never used without Father following. He said that Abba is the word framed by the lips of an infant and betokens unreasoning trust. In other words, it's a childlike endearment, like daddy. Father, though, expresses an intelligent comprehension, an apprehension of the relationship. The two together express the love and intelligent confidence of the child towards the father. And so when Jesus, in the garden, he talked about Abba, Father, there was something very tender and intimate and childlike, and yet with an intelligent understanding of who the father is as well. Sometimes we see this played out a little bit, of course, whenever we were children. And, uh, you know, your mother maybe would have talked about your dad. And, uh, you know, your dad will soon be home for supper. But if you're really naughty, and you did something, it says, Now, wait till your father gets home. And it had a different connotation, hadn't it? You know, Dad, kind of warm and fuzzy, but f- wait till your father gets home. Well, that's a different story altogether, isn't it? Uh, and sometimes we make the mistake, though, of, of thinking that way when it comes to Father God. Uh, sometimes we, we we get the impression of he's austere, and he's hard, and he's just waiting to punish. But Jesus blew that away, didn't he? And he talked about Abba, Father. He made it tender and loving. Family is not just a good idea, it's a God idea. It's something that God instituted right from the very beginning. Uh, In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Yesterday at the wedding, as at all weddings, uh, of course it's, it's, it's hard to do any wedding without mentioning Ephesians 5, uh, the great uh, wonderful illustration that the Apostle Paul uses about Christ and his church, lagging on to the, the groom and the bride together. And, uh, and of course that implies that there is relationship, a deep, lasting and loving relationship. And it's a mystical union, the apostle Paul said. Just as Christ and his bride, as the husband and the wife, there's something mysterious and mystical about two becoming one together. And there's something mystical and mysterious beyond our human comprehension, the fact that in Christ, that we are one in Christ. We're all separate individuals with all different personalities. But in Christ, we become one in Christ and Christ is one with the Father. Our lives are head with Christ in God. So the Father offers us the reason why I'm sharing this today is because it's Father's Day. Unfortunately, not everyone, and maybe not everyone in here, has got happy memories of a loving, caring Father. Not all fathers, earthly fathers, are like that. Unfortunately, some has been very difficult. Some has been drunkards. Some has beaten up their children. Uh, some has deserted them and left them. But we must never think of that about God as Father. He is the perfect Father. His companionship. Notice what Jesus said in John fourteen twenty three. If a man loved me, he will keep my words, and Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our home with him companionship. This is the thing that Jesus wanted to get into the hearts of those disciples. That Almighty God, the Father of Israel, the Father of all men by creative right and the Father of Israel by covenant right wanted to be their Father by redemptive right and wanted them to enter into a wonderful relationship. In First John chapter 1 verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. the Life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you, that your joy may be full. The Apostle John, writing as an old, old man, as the senior man of the church, as it were, he's writing to the church, and he's trying to impress upon them about this special relationship that we can have with Father God. And again and again he writes about it. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Imagine that. That we should be called the children of God. That we are His children, born of Him. That we are His children in His family. Therefore, the world does not know us, Because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you have a relationship with the Father? You know, there's some people, particularly maybe when they become Christians at the beginning, it's Jesus, 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 but they never think about the Father. But Jesus points us to the Father, directs us to the Father, to have relationship with the Father, not just with Him, but with the Father also, so that we may know Him as a Father. What about His care? 1 Peter 5, 7, casting All your care upon him, for he cares for you. If you are a father who loves your children, you would do anything for your children. You would walk over hot coals. You'd walk over broken glass, if necessary, for your children, because of the love that you've got for your children. Peter says, Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Jesus said, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came forth from God. What a heart of care and love the Father has got for each of us today. If only we could realize it. If only we could understand it more. If only we'd enter into more into that relationship with the Father and trust Him and believe Him. I'm blessed to have a great relationship with my daughter. I have only one child and I'm blessed to have a really good relationship uh, with my daughter. And she knows that she can trust me, that she can count on me, that I'll be there for her. And thank God for that relationship. And actually, she would be there for me. In fact, she came here for me for my 65th birthday, which was quite a shock and surprise because I didn't know. But that's a relationship that's been built up for 38 years. It just doesn't happen overnight. It's built up uh, through the trials of life where you prove yourself to be what you're supposed to be. If she can trust me, how much more can she not trust the Father of lights? How much more can she not trust God as Father? Me with my imperfections, me with my weaknesses, me with my feelings and mistakes, She still loves me. She still trusts me. How much more the father of perfection, who never makes a mistake, he always will be there for us. For the father himself loves you because you have loved me. What about his correction? We don't really want to talk about that. Sure we don't. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what, a son, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Any good father will discipline his children. We're supposed to do it. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's what the Bible says. However, in our humanity, in our human weaknesses, we can cross a line and we can go beyond doing it for their good and doing it for the wrong reason. And the Bible warns us about that. But the Father chastens us And it's always, always, always for our profit, always for our benefit, always to bless us in the end. And just the way as our children are growing up and we try to teach them the right way and we try to discipline to do the right thing because we want the best for them, the Father wants the best for us. And sometimes he has to chasten us and it's not very pleasant, is it? Have you ever felt rebuked by God? I have. Yet it's not very nice when it happens. And when it happens, you know it is Him rebuking you. You've blundered, you've sinned, you've made a mistake, you've done wrong, you're going the wrong way, you've been proud, whatever the case may be, and God has had to chastise us and get us back on track. And it's not very nice at the time, but you can look back afterwards and say, well, thank God that He did that and brought me back into line again. Most of us If we live long enough and if our parents have been good parents, we can look back at the times we were chastised and we can thank God for that because it made us what we are today. And so he said if God doesn't chasten us, then we're illegitimate. We don't belong to him. He only chastens those that belong to him, those whom he loves, those whom he's working on and to make into that thing that he wants them to be for his glory. And so a correction is very, very important. Psalm 103 Psalmist speaks of this. (coughs) Verse 8 The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. So in all of his chastening, it's always, always, always mixed with mercy. Always. Because he wants the best for us. And he pities us as his children and remembers that we are but dust. Remembers that we're prone to mistakes and faults. And yet he's trying to perfect our lives. What about his character? In John 14, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And this goes right to the heart of revealing the Father heart of God. No man has seen God at any time. Disciples like us would struggle to understand who is God, the great, mighty, omnipotent God that we have never seen. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, actually, you've seen him. Look at me, look at my attitude, look at my character, look at my nature, look at my works, look at what I do, look at what I say. And all of that will be a reflection of who the Father is. And so he was really desperately trying to get them to see that what they were seeing in him was the heart of the Father. That's what the Father was like. You want to know what the Father's like? Just look at me follow me, do what I do, and you'll be doing what the Father does because I only do what the Father does. I only say what the Father says. And so he was trying to show them the very heart of God through his life. And so if you're wondering what God, quote-unquote, is like, look at Jesus and see how he is, what he does, what he says. What he's like. And that's a reflection of who the father is. There's probably no greater story in the Bible than the story of the prodigal son. And actually, truthfully, it really is the story of the father. That's what Jesus was really trying to get through to those that he was speaking to. It really is a story of the father's heart. And how that when the prodigal left... And how he went away. And how when he was away. And he wasted his whole life. All of his substance, everything, ended up in the pig pen. And yet in the midst of all of that, he repented. And he started to make his way back to the father and to the father's house. And that's really the heart of the whole story. To know and to see how the father reacts. Because take the father out of that picture. And the story really has no good ending. But the fact that the father's there, notice about the father, his love was unconditional towards his wayward son. He didn't say, I love you if, or I love you when, or I will love you until. He just loved him. He just loved him. He couldn't wait for him to come back. In spite of all that he did, in spite of all the wrong he did, in spite of his sin, in spite of his failure, in spite of all of that, the Father's great heart for him, his love was absolutely unconditional. It's hard for us to love unconditionally. Have you found that? Have you found that? Are you that super spiritual that you find it dead easy to love unconditionally? It's hard, isn't it? And you're testing that again and again and again and again. And yet here in this story, the father just loved him just unconditionally. His love was unselfish. Now it really looked as if the father got a real bad deal here, didn't he? His son insulted him, shamed him, embarrassed him in front of his neighbors and all of his friends. His son took that money without any thought of the hurt and the shame that was going to cause his father. He didn't care about his father. He just wanted his inheritance. He wanted to go. He wanted to get away from him. He couldn't get away fast enough. The father's heart must have been broken. Could you imagine if you were a father and your child did that, your heart would be absolutely broken. And yet, here's this father. In spite of all that was done to him, in spite of all of the hurt and the pain that his son caused him, he was completely unselfish in his love for his son. He welcomed him back with open arms. His father's love was uncondemning. His father, of course, didn't condone what he did, but he didn't condemn him either. In fact, you notice in the story when the son came back, how the father ran to meet him and embraced him. Why did it why why the hurry? Why the run? Just out of his love for him, it was more than that. It was to save him from the town leaders. It was to save him from those who would condemn him. Because had he had come into the village, the town leaders would have got him and he would have stood condemned before them. But the father made sure before they ever got to him, before those who would condemn him got to him, he went there with that unselfish, unconditional love. And I completely and utterly forgave him. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation has a tendency to drive us away from God. But conviction of the Holy Spirit drives us towards God. It draws us into his presence. Thank God for his conviction. And here's the son coming back. Of course he didn't come back arrogantly. Sure he didn't. Whenever he left, he says, give me. Whenever he came back, he says, make me. Make me as one of your hired servants. So not only was he repentant, but he was truly humbled. And he came back with a humble spirit, not an arrogant spirit. Not, well, I'm coming back, and because you're my dad, you're going to have to receive me. No, no, he came back truly humbled and repentant. Make me as one of your hired servants. That's what he had in mind to say. That's what he planned to say. He didn't even get to say it. His father just embraced him and hugged him and kissed his neck again and again and again. What a wonderful story it is of the heart of a father. His love was unceasing. Every single day, from the day that son left to the day he came back, and we don't know how long that was was it weeks? Was it months? Was it a year? We don't know. But every single day, that father went out and looked for that son to return. He was expectant. And he was hopeful. And he believed that one day his son would return. And he was right. But every single day, with that unceasing love, he never gave up on his son. Did you ever give up on somebody Over the years as a pastor I've given up to a lot of people. Sorry to say that, but I have. Because I'm human. Because I struggle to love unconditionally, as you do. But the father's not like that. His love is unceasing. He never gave up on his son. He always looked for him to come back. Isn't that a nice thought? Every prodigal that's out there today, if only they knew that the father was waiting for them to return and embrace them. Maybe it'd make it a little bit easier for them to return. But sadly, most of them doesn't know that, do they? So his love was unceasing. His love was unbiased. He had no favorites. He loved both sons just the same. We know about the elder brother. We know his attitude towards the younger son. This thy son, not my brother. In a real arrogant, proud attitude, hadn't he? You never made a party for me. I've been with you all these years. I've never put a foot wrong. I didn't go off and waste your money, but you never made a party for me. Son, you are ever with me. All that I have is thine. made no difference. His love was unbiased. And that's the great thing about Father God, isn't it? His love is unbiased. He loves the unlovely. He loves even the unlovely. And thank God that he does, because where would we be today if he didn't? And so the Father heart of God, it's wonderful, isn't it? When you get to know God as your heavenly Father, as the one who loves you, who cares for you, who sent his son to die for you, who wants you in his presence daily, who welcomes you, who rejoices over you, who wants to bless you continually, what a father we have got. What a father we serve today. Not like an earthly father, not like one who... Changes whatever mood he's in. No. One who cares and who loves us every day. So, on this Father's Day, even in our weaknesses as human fathers, let's try to be the best fathers we can possibly be to our children. But in our weaknesses as human fathers, we'll fail sometimes. But let's think about the one who never fails, who has no weaknesses, who isn't moody. Hmm? Who loves us unconditionally, unselfishly, unceasingly, wonderfully. Thank God for our Heavenly Father today. Let's pray. before we have communion this morning, let's just take a moment. And let's just in our heart of hearts just thank God for who He is, for His tender mercies, His unfailing love and compassion. Father we just stop and give you thanks not only are you the great God of heaven but you are our Father in heaven we thank you for your care for us so today we come before you with thanksgiving blessing you for who you are all that you've done giving us of your grace and mercy sending us your Son, we thank you, Father, and we bless you. Now as we prepare our hearts for this table, we still ourselves in your presence. We thank you for your grace, touching us and molding and making us, forgiving us again and again and again and again. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Ken's going to come and just serve a table.